Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the great folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website at johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with Brad Colombo. Uh, Palumbo, I'm sorry. He's a wa- writer at Washington, uh, with Washington Examiner. We'll visit with Sharon Kenny, the author of Where Should We Eat, and Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It is May the 1st, and on this day in 1972, Mexican-American labor organizer and civil rights activist Cesar Chavez began a hunger strike. The strike, which he undertook in opposition to an Arizona law restricting farm workers' ability to organize, lasted 24 days and drew national attention to the itinerant farm workers in the Southwest. Uh, The fervent admirer of Mahatma Gandhi, uh, Chavez had undertaken several hundred hunger strikes before. As a co-founder of the United Farm Workers, he and his strikes had played an important role in many major labor actions, including the five-year Delano Grape Strike in California. In response to a wave of organizing that swept the region, Arizona's legislature passed a bill that constricted workers' rights to organize outlawed secondary boycotts, and allowed growers to obtain a restraining order to prevent strikes during the harvest, despite an outcry from farm workers and Chavez's request that they meet to discuss the bill. Governor Jack Williams immediately signed into a law that law. Later the day, uh, Chavez began his fast. Uh, Everybody jumped on the bandwagon. Martin Luther King's uh, uh, wife, Coretta Scott King, uh, George McGovern, Bobby Kennedy, uh, uh, well, I should say Bobby Kennedy had been was dead at that point. However, uh, uh, a lot of folks jumped on the bandwagon and supported him. You may remember this is all about uh, the, the other America, Michael Harrington's book that sparked uh, the uh, the great uh, relief program for people that were poor, giving them putting them on the plantation, if you will. So, I, in my review, uh, what the work that he did was actually probably uh, harmed the workers more than it helped them. Uh, you know, they were coming to America because they wanted to have a better life. They came in, migrant workers across the, the border, in order to uh, work. And uh, a lot of the uh, problems that we have with immigration law are a result of what he did at the time. So uh, he should not necessarily be glorified nor demonized, but uh, he certainly is an interesting fellow having uh, started this hunger strike uh, in the uh, wave of uh, Mahatma Gandhi. Well, the Florida National Guard and Florida Department of Health in Cuyahoga County will provide COVID-19 testing for Immokalee residents. Uh, that's all going to happen. Uh, there have been 43 deaths uh, in Immokalee uh, f- as a result of Corona-19. Uh, uh, Corona-19 right now has increased to 596 uh, cases in Cuyahoga County, 19 deaths. Uh, the latest two victims are 74 and 77-year-old men. Uh, they said that they died uh, as a result of or with coronavirus. We'll talk about that in just a moment. I question that. 92 people have been hospitalized for corona, uh, COVID-19, and uh, 466 uh, of those uh, cases of coronavirus are actually in Naples. So most of the cases in Naples, uh, which frankly has only about, what, 10,000 residents, so out of the 350,000 residents in Collier County. Uh, coronavirus in Florida, total cases surpassed 33,500, and the death toll ro- is about 5, 120, excuse me, 1,268, about uh, more than half of them in Palm Beach, Broward, and uh, Miami-Dade County. So I think Florida is doing relatively well, all things considered. Uh, first time for uh, filings for unemployment insurance hit th- uh, $3.84 million last week as the wave of the uh, economic pain and continues. Through the worst appears to be in the past, according to the Labor Department figures, the rolling six-week value uh, total brings it up to 30.3 million folks unemployed requesting unemployment payments as part of the worst employment crisis in U.S. history. 
Troubles in the labor market are reflective of a larger slump in economic activity and only recently has reflected in the data. Gross domestic product has contracted uh, by 4.8% in the first quarter. That, according to the government report on Wednesday, the Dow was down 286 yesterday, and the futures are getting creamed. Uh, they're down about 450 points as we start the show today. So uh, Trump's former White House chief economist says the coronavirus so far has cost each American $8,074 per household. $8,074 per household. That's been the cost so far. The question is, is it really? Um, I think we're going to take a look back at this uh, 10, 15 years from now and question all the things that we've done and how we've reacted to this in a, in a kind of a panic fashion. James O'Keefe of Project Veritas, and if you've not heard of him, he's, <clears throat> his M.O. is to uh, interview people secretly and record the, uh, record the interviews. He's done that with uh, Planned Parenthood and a number of folks. Well, he's struck again. Project Veritas uh, spoke to several funeral directors in New York who are doubting the legitimacy of COVID-19 labeled death certificates. To be honest with you, all the death certificates, they're written, uh, writing COVID on all the death certificates, whether they're, they're positive or not, and whether they didn't. So I think you, you know, and again, I'm, this is a kind of in some ways gibberish, but it's uh, this is one funeral director just being interviewed. So I think, you know, again, it's my personal opinion, says the funeral director. I think that Mayor Bill de Blasio in our New York City here, uh, they're looking for fu federal funding. And the more you put COVID on the death certificate, the more they can ask for federal funds. That's funeral director of Colonial Home, uh, Funeral Home, Michael Lanza. So I think it's all political, he said. Another funeral director in Queens uh, told Project Veritas that she had one victim autopsied because she, her sister was furious because she knew the sister didn't die from coronavirus. The victim is related to a Supreme Court justice, but the funeral director did not disclose which justice. The angry woman said her sister had Alzheimer's and they didn't even suction her. I don't know anything about uh, this aspect of medicine, but apparently that's important. She said you have to suction her because they forget how to swallow. And right away, they put down COVID-19 on her death certificate and the Supreme Court justice, whoever is uh, contacted to the hospital, they did an, an independent autopsy and bingo, no COVID-19. Uh, that according to another funeral director. New CDC guidelines on COVID-19 are allowing hospitals to list coro uh, coronavirus on the death certificates without a lab test. So, uh, you know, where's Bill Barr in all this? Well, I mean, he certainly should be addressing these issues because this is, uh, well, it's uh, misleading and it's just simply trying to garner financial funds to, and it expands the uh, fear factor for the coronavirus. Uh, this is the big story right now. Internal FBI documents unsealed yesterday indicate that Peter Schrock, the now-disgraced anti-Trump former head of FBI counterintelligence, ordered the investigation of former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn to remain open even after it was slated to be closed due to a lack of so-called derogatory information. The material just surfaced today after the explosive FBI communications revealed that the top bureau officials discussed their motivations for interviewing Flynn in the White House on January the 24th, 2017, and openly questioned if their goal was to get him to lie so we can prosecute him, prosecute him or get him fired. Can you believe that? These from the top officials in the FBI. The hand, those handwritten notes written by for, FBI's former head of counterintelligence, Bill Priestap, uh, suggested uh, uh, agents planned in an alternative to get Flynn to admit to breaking the Logan Act, which hasn't been used. It was written in 1999. It's never been used to, uh, that was before telephones, and they were actually, it was uh, created, the Logan Act, uh, to prevent individuals from falsely claiming they represented the United States government. Anyhow, he finally pled guilty. Why? Because finally they, uh, they uh, threatened to, to take action against his son. They intimidated him. They pressured him. They bullied him. But he's yet to be sentenced, and his team has sought to withdraw his guilty plea. And, uh, they, certainly these documents should exonerate him fully. The question is, uh, will the president rehire uh, Flynn? And I think he should. He said, actually, in an interview, he says, yeah, he'd consider putting him back on the team. You know, I have an idea about that. Why not uh, hire Flynn 
uh, as the head of the FBI or as head of uh, intelligence in the United States and allow him to reorganize the FBI, the CIA, and other counter and other intelligence agencies in the uh, federal government. I think that would be a great way to clean house and get things back in order because, as many uh, pundits have pointed out, 99% of the FBI, CIA, Justice Department, they're all great folks. There's just a few at the top that were really stinking up the the, uh, the program and making it uh, contaminating uh, the environment. Who can forget James Comey in his interview where he, they, uh, he said, you know, I sent those guys in to interview uh, Flynn and then with the smirk on his face, it just uh, reminds me of the old biblical phrasing that pride precedeth the fall, and I think his fall is coming, just my point of view. Anyhow, I'd love to see Obama, apparently Obama fired Flynn as head of the Defense Intelligence Agency in 2014, and now he's seeking to withdraw his uh, guilty plea. Uh, Flynn, uh, actually Obama told uh, Trump not to hire Flynn. Apparently, Flynn has a lot on. Uh, he has a lot of dirt. Apparently, on these people, they just don't want him around. That's why they. One of the reasons they attacked him. They also wanted to discredit Trump and his uh, legitimacy as the president of the United States. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community, thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees. The goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Show Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps in the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And, of course, the season was shut down because of the coronavirus, but there's a lot happening coming up, and the website is very robust. Please visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. 
Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Brad Palumbo. He is a writer with the Washington Examiner. Right now, we have with us William Yateman, Research Fellow with the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. My pleasure. Tell us about the Cato Institute. Well, we're a think tank in Washington, D.C., and we're advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website. I encourage you to visit cato.org. Uh, so, uh, breaking an explosive news uh, with uh, Michael Flynn and his investigation, I would just appreciate your thoughts and comments about what we've, uh, what, what's happened here in the last couple of days. Well, uh, to recap, there's uh, Sidney Powell, who is the counsel for, for Mike Flynn, who again had been charged under this Logan Act, um, this kind of never-used law. Um, Sidney Powell uncovered these FBI documents that indicate um, the FBI interviewed him with the purpose of catching him in a lie and thereby prosecuting him for the lie and getting him, literally, quote-unquote, getting him fired. Mm -hmm. And these were the same people, um, I don't want to, Peter, I don't want to butcher his last name, but and and Lisa, I I forget what her last name is, but they were engaged in an affair and um, just it was written notes by someone high in the FBI, and also these text messages that uncover what is really outrageous. And, and when I say outrageous, I'm not being partisan there by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but, but listeners, please, Jonathan Turley, a distinguished down the middle professor at the George Washington School of Law, um, has a column this morning in the Hill. Of any uses that exact word. This is this is really outrageous. I mean, yeah. they. they um, you know, the crime here seems to have been, uh, the whole effort seems to have been geared towards engendering a crime, which is just really troubling stuff when mm-hmm. you think about it. Um, so uh, uh, breaking news indeed, and certainly, um, you know, we talked before about the Roger Stone stuff and, and how the person of that jury had had, had sort of this, this very visible, um, divisive, social media presence, of, uh, you know, towards one political party and against uh, Donald Trump in particular. Right. So it, it is, it, it's, it's troubling. Just sort of all these, um, you know, I guess where there's smoke, there's fire. And in this instance, it's the, it's, uh, it's the documents in question. I mean, it's the smoking gun, if you will. So, oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, Sidney Powell is a, um, she wrote a book called Conviction Machine. It's a little, it's on the same topic. I mean, because she points out that everybody, if if ever, uh, these people get uh, in the, in your your uh, they get uh, their gun in your crosshairs, uh, they'll find something on you. And this is exactly what they did with Flynn, and they used the power of the government in order to destroy his life. He lost his home. They finally threatened him that they would prosecute, take prosecu- uh, prosecution against his son if he didn't plead guilty, which he did just to protect his family after losing everything, and now we're finally finding out that he's innocent of everything. They said so before Schrock finally said, hey, wait a minute, don't close this down, this razor thing, whatever it was called, because uh, and uh, that's what how it ended up where it is today. He was being used as a tool. Apparently, he had something on Obama. Obama fired him, and apparently he had something on the intelligence agencies that uh, they didn't like. I don't know. We haven't gotten to the bottom of that. But the point is that they destroyed his life, and uh, now he's going to be exonerated. I hope that the I hope that uh, Trump hires him back. My thought would be put him in charge of investigating all these intelligence agencies and cleaning house. <laughs> Well, they've got a very capable person on that now, this uh, John Dunham, I believe is his name. Oh, yeah. Who's investigating the investigation. I want to note here how, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a libertarian. Cato is a, li- a libertarian think tank. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to recognize the, kind of what both sides get right and what both sides get wrong. Mm-hmm. It really shocks the conscience that, that progressives used to be really good when it came to uh, overweening government misuse of state resources to prosecute, you know, an individual and thereby infringe upon civil liberties. The extent to which this, um, which is really plainly outrageous, the extent to which it, it sort of aligns, or unfortunately, uh, instead of people being willing to objectively, you know, admit that this is ridiculous, 
it fall, you know, you go to Real Clear Politics this morning and there'll be two articles that, that concede that this is terrible, but then there'll be two articles that are telling a party line that this is part of the course routine FBI work. Wow. And that is, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that politics has corrupted that element of progressivism, but I, I formerly really appreciate it. Uh, you make a great point, because uh, if there's ever been anybody for individual rights and civil liberties and so forth, it's been the Democrat Party back in the day. Certainly not today. They'll use, uh, what I'm seeing is, any tool available, whether it's the Justice Department, whether it's the, uh, the Internal Revenue Service, whatever it might be, in order to uh, in order to garner power, what I think, power and, uh, and uh, control. It is, look, I'll say this, the proof is in the pudding. And this whole, you know, we've spoken about the Roger Stone case a number of times, and I guess this is the first time we've spoken about the Flynn case, Yeah. but it, it, it all stinks. I mean, this is, you know, this machinery of the state being ginned up um, to go after certain individuals just because you don't like their politics. That's sort of the worst possible of government, and it's a mode to see it in this country. Oh, banana, banana republic politics. I mean, this is the way that, that institutions are used in countries far less, uh, you know, you'd like to think that we, there, all of our institutions have integrity. We do need to clean house. We do need to fi- figure out how to get back to the Constitution. I think as a libertarian, you could certainly agree with that. Here, here. Yeah. Hey, before I let you go, um, I've seen... Uh, he, uh, People raise the issue about the constitutionality of what's happening with these shutdowns and what's happening to the American public. It's the first time, I think, in American history that we've actually quarantined and house-arrested uh, people who are innocent of anything and don't have any illness. I mean, what's it, it, doesn't this violate habeas corpus? It was, it, you sent me a really interesting video about that, and it's, uh, it's going to pit... Well, let me put it this way. It is a really fascinating constitutional question, and of course, the kind of the devil is always in the detail. So, mm-hmm. is the you know would this amount to government detention? And if so, then it's going to be our uh, you know, sort of a right to not be detained versus the the government's legitimate uh, police power. We've spoken about that before. The mm-hmm. sort of inherent power of sovereignty to to deal with uh, situations like this. Um, it, it obviously. It, very much so, uh, legal gray area. I mean, there's a question, as you said, this is an unprecedented circumstance. Um, so we haven't really asked these legal questions before, but it's a really cool question. Yeah. I'll say that much. Whether or not this fascinating constitutional mechanism with this very long pedigree of American and English law, um, whether or not it could be employed to advance the cause of liberty at these times. Well, I think probably at this point the question is more important than the answer. I mean, we need to protect our individual liberties, and we're seeing the encroachment uh, on liberty and freedom by governments all over. Well, it could be not only the federal government, but state governments, uh, local governments, the uh, Collier County commissioners and so forth. They now have a taste of power, and they're basically making decisions. I had neighbors, you know, we had a, a, a company that, uh, I forget which one, whether it was a restaurant, hairdresser, whatever it might be, 15 police cars or sheriff's officers' cars showed up. <laughs> Do you know, my Lord, in America. In, that's happening in America. How does that happen? It just makes no sense at all. Again, William Yateman, the uh, research fellow, a research fellow at the Cato Institute, terrific think tank in Washington, D.C., doing great work, Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. William, always appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. Now. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to have another terrific interview uh, with Brad Palumbo. He is the writer with the Washington Examiner. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Oops, that didn't work. Let me try it again. There it is. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, Blue Provence offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. During the governor's stay-at-home notice, Blue Provence is offering pick-up curbside takeout options five nights a week, Tuesday through Saturday. To place an order, just call 261-8239 Tuesday through Saturday from 4 to 7 p.m. A 20% discount will be 
be applied on all food orders during these unprecedented times. Compliment your order with amazing wines from the Blue Provence Retail Wine Store, offering amazing choice and value. Blue Provence Wine Store is open Monday to Saturday, 9 to 12 p.m., and has one of the most eclectic and fun wine cellars, offering 10% off cases. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board, uh, creating policies and programs, among other things, to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And, of course, that's after all the pandemic stuff is over. But I hope you'll visit the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Brad Palumbo. He is the writer with The Washington Examiner. Brad, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, good morning, and thanks for having me. My pleasure, Brad. Hey, you've been doing some... We haven't talked too much about the Biden campaign and what's going on on that front, but I thought it might be interesting to change topics right now because you've been doing some great research and writing about the Biden campaign. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. So I have covered the 2020 election um, really since it got going. And I also was one of the first or second report. I was maybe second or third of reporters to cover the Me Too accusations against Joe Biden after they came out. Mm -hmm. So former Senate staffer, I'm sure you've heard the story by now, has accused him of having um, forcibly penetrated her in 1993. Mm -hmm. And that story has now been corroborated by a, um, several witnesses who say she told them that this happened, she told them about it in the 90s. So that makes it less likely she's making the whole thing up unless she made the story up in 1995, 30 years in advance. Right. Obviously, that's less likely. Um, so what I've been writing about lately is the real hypocrisy of Nancy Pelosi, Elizabeth Warren, Stacey Abrams, all these people who I went back and looked at what they had to say about Brett Kavanaugh, and it was all believe women, believe survivors, um, and it was all that he, he was guilty, assume him guilty, one accusation should ruin his career. All these same people are falling in line and defending Joe Biden, and I just think it's hypocritical and disgraceful. It is. I mean, uh, and Nancy Pelosi actually said, I believe his explanation. <laughs> and he's never made an explanation, which is just kind of unbelievable. And then apparently a reporter brought it up, maybe you, I'm not sure, but uh, and questioned her about it. She wanted to talk about the agenda of the, of the legislative session coming up. She said, I don't want to talk about that now. Then he brought it up at the end of the interview and she attacked him. So uh, apparently the people are pretty defensive about this. Yeah, so actually my Washington Examiner colleague, Carrie Pickett, who covers Congress for us, asked Nancy Pelosi a very fair question about this, right? Very mm -hmm. polite. Nancy Pelosi goes, snaps at her, goes, I don't need a lecture about this from you. I'm like, okay, okay. So somebody's clearly a little bit defensive because she knows her position is untenable. And it is so hypocritical, it makes my blood boil. Yeah. Right? We have an accusation against Joe Biden, and my position has always been that people deserve the benefit of the doubt. They deserve to be presumed innocent, and you have to prove they're guilty. So I would say Joe Biden deserves the same benefit of the doubt that I thought Brett Kavanaugh deserved. But 
Joe Biden himself said, anytime a woman comes forward, you have to assume she's telling the truth. And his own party set this standard that all you need is one accusation and that person is guilty, done, toss them aside. So I think he should, he should have to live by that standard that he helped set. And it is truly shameless politicking for right. people like Nancy Pelosi. Her only answer was she was trying to defend why it's somehow different this time. And she goes, oh, well, Joe Biden is Joe Biden. He's a good man, and I know him. I've known him for a long time. Yeah. Well, guess what? Tons of people said the same exact thing about Brett Kavanaugh. Right. The real difference is that Joe Biden is a Democrat. No question. I, Brad, I think that's absolutely right. And I'm so appreciative of how the president handled the question yesterday in the prep, press briefing. And he says, you know, uh, hey, I don't know anything about it, but he deserves a, a fair treatment. You know, I've been attacked for a... And by the way, it turns out that Stormy Daniels has said that she never had an affair with Donald Trump. <laughs> so all these false accusations against him. And yet, so he's saying, hey, he deserves a fair treatment. But on the other hand... Uh, Biden apparently is going to be on Morning Joe this morning, and he's going to. He said he's going to address the issue. You can imagine the the uh, soft softballs that'll be lobbed up to him about the issue. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to be interested to see that that interview as long as soon as it's uh, available because I mean Biden looks like he's wandering into a nursing home half the time these days. He yeah. really struggles to do television inter- interviews and speak in full sentences. And now, I mean, this is a very thorny question. So I bet his team is going to have told him exactly what to say, and I bet it could still go horribly, horribly wrong. So it'll be interesting to see how tough they are on him or whether they just truly give him the most softball of questions and whether or not he can answer them adequately or whether he just falls apart. Yeah, I mean, uh, dollars to donuts, he gets lobbed softballs. <laughs> yes, they're not going to ask him the difficult or, it, you know, the follow-up questions. That's what's important. They're going to ask him, are you guilty? He'll say no. It's the follow-up questions that are going to be so important. And and to your point, too, you bring out that he's talking gibberish. In many cases, he's not talking in complete sentences that make any sense whatsoever. Uh, I'll just give you one quote. I, I would get much more engaged in the world. We can step back, Biden said, if, in fact, for example, we solve the problem of the United States of America and you don't solve it in other parts of the world, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have travel bans. You're going to not going to be able to do, we're not going to have economic intercourse around the world. <laughs> Does that make any sense at all? No, it doesn't. Even aside from the hilarious thing about intercourse that he didn't mean to say, even the rest of it doesn't really make sense. Uh, But, I mean, it's just a shame, right, because all you need is an honest journalist who has Joe Biden in an interview to read him his own quotes from Brett Kavanaugh and ask, why should you be different? And then give him two follow-up questions. Don't let him worm, uh, worm his way out of it. But will they do that? I really hope so, but I'm not very optimistic. Me either. Uh, as long as, I mean, the New York Times literally allowed the Biden campaign to edit their published story about this, right? <laughs> they had factual information in their story that the Biden campaign didn't like, and they've openly admitted that they changed it at their request. So Joe Biden has been getting kid gloves from the media on this whole thing, from the liberal media, and it's really unfair considering the way that they didn't just cover the the, you know, unproven but credible accusation from Christine Blase Ford against uh, against Brett Kavanaugh. They were also covering, like, the crazy random fourth stories about Julie Swetnick and Michael Avenetti coming up with crazy false stories about gang rape. And, I mean, they, the, the liberal media was just throwing it all to the wall and seeing what stuck, whereas now they're suddenly being very cautious again about what they publish when it's Joe Biden. Yeah. And I've got to say, the hypocrisy really rubs me the wrong way. Boy, it does me as well. You're just reminding me the sense of shame and humiliation. I was personally feeling watching them attack uh, him uh, as they were in that subcommittee meeting was just shameful. It was just awful. And uh, yet that, again, they just trying to take him down and make sure that he wasn't appointed because they're afraid that he's going to overturn or participate in overturning uh, Roe v. Wade. And uh, now Biden... Kid Gloves, to your point, I mean, apparently he's distributed, uh, his campaign has distributed talking points about this entire thing, and apparently everybody, the the, uh, the progressives on, on Capitol Hill, the mainstream media, to your point, they all have the same talking points, and that's how they're handling it. 
And the talking points are literally false, too. So one of the main talking points that Stacey Abrams and some other people have said when they're asked about it is, you know, journalists in the New York Times have rigorously vetted these, these claims and they found that they aren't true. So that's good enough for me. That's just not true. Yeah. I mean, so when you read the New York Times report, it doesn't say they're not true. It just reports on the accusation, and here's some reasons to believe it. Here's some reasons to maybe doubt it. Uh, so they're, they're twisting the New York Times report, and they're leaning on it as if it exonerates Biden when it does no such thing. Yeah. So even their own talking points are just wholly inadequate, and I wish a journalist would press them on them more closely. Yeah. Well, I don't think this is going to go away, and certainly if he ends up in a debate with Trump, it'll be interesting to see the two of them on the stage and up at the uh, DS. So, Brad, I wish we had more time to spend uh, here on the show because I love your commentary. Brad Palumbo, again, writer with the Washington Examiner. Genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Have a good one. You as well. Thank you. All right. Coming up, we're going to visit with Sharon Kenny. She is the author of Where Should We Eat? The lighter side of the show. She writes commentary on travel, dining, and entertainment. Of course, the news has been pretty sparse lately. We'll be interested to find out what's how things are coming back. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. As Southwest Florida is impacted by the coronavirus crisis, the organizations that provide relief and support to our community's most vulnerable population are finding their resources stretched. For 32 years, St. Matthew's House has provided food, shelter, and comfort to those struggling with poverty, food insecurity, and homelessness. St. Matthew's House is the only emergency homeless shelter in Cuyahoga County, sheltering more than 300 men, women, and children every night and providing more than 500,000 meals each year to those in need. For those who have shelter but are food insecure, direct assistance is offered through the St. Matthew's House Food Pantry and Grocery Distribution. Donations of food, hygiene supplies, detergent, diapers, and monetary support are needed curbside drop-off is available at St. Matthew's House Main Thrift Store at 2601 Airport Road, South Naples. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization that does not solicit government funding. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org or call 239-774-0500. That's 774-0500. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Government Accountability, and I hope you'll visit the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now, we have with us Sharon Kenny, her book. She's written a book. It's called Where Should We Eat? It's a great commentary on places that you can enjoy, whether it's casual or romantic or on the water or whatever it might be. Uh, she also writes commentary on travel, dining, and entertainment. Sharon, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, great to talk to you, Bob. Thank you, Sharon. Well, the governor has given the good news. Uh, we're going to begin opening the economy, and uh, apparently uh, restaurants are going to be operating at 25%. What are your thoughts? Well, what a good day that was. I watched the governor's press conference. He did an amazing job, I thought, yeah. in laying out the, uh, the facts of what Florida was really experiencing, and um, and taking phase one of, uh, of the opening up and I guess letting expire our safer at home order. So um, for restaurants, that means 
they can have outdoor seating. Restaurants basically are open, um, but they have uh, all of their outdoor seating they can use and a limited 25% um, on the inside. And they have to, all of their tables have to be six feet apart. So from the restaurant people that I've been talking to, everybody is excited. Everybody is grateful and thankful that this has happened. And I think considering the time of year, Bob, um, you know, it'll take a while for the restaurants to get ramped up to normal capacity. And I know most of them or a lot of them are not opening up completely on May 1st. Some of them are, but not everybody. It's taking a little bit of, they're giving themselves a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, considering that it is May and a couple of things, it's a lower season. Normally, people would normally, uh, the, the visitors from up north would be gone by now, and we'd have fewer people in our restaurants anyway. Mm. So 25% is maybe a little bit less than they would like. Maybe 50% would have been better. But, you know, considering they have all the outdoor seating, that's great. So a lot of restaurants are looking at enhancing their outdoor seating and adding to their outdoor seating, seeing if that's possible under their lease agreements and stuff mm-hmm, like that, and mm-hmm. whether the city will allow that. I know the city's also looking at some plans to be able to increase restaurant outdoor seating. So that's good. Um, also, I think most restaurants are continuing with their takeout plans because a lot of of people are still, you know, on the uncomfortable side about going into a restaurant right away, and they would like to still have takeout available. Also, the takeout service was a big investment for a lot of restaurants in order to set that whole thing up. Um, They had to have the the websites, the ability to pay online, all that kind of stuff. So that was a significant investment, and it's why a lot of restaurants didn't do it. Um, So, you know, now that that's in place, I think they figure they might as well keep that going. That's so interesting, Sharon. I appreciate you bringing up the fact, because I was scratching my head saying 25% capacity, how are restaurants going to make it? Either they'll have to increase prices or make some changes. But uh, you make a great point, because we do see the the uh, downturn of the population here on the Paradise Coast of people who would actually go to restaurants. My question is this. Uh, now that restaurants are opening, but we're keeping salons, hair, hair and uh, nail salons closed, uh, I think a lot of men are going to have trouble asking their wives to go out to dinner without <laughs> without having their hair done in the last two months. <laughs> well, it, it we'll keep dark glasses on so no one will recognize yeah. us. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it just annoys me. that the I, I think the best way to open the economy is just tell people, just be careful. Okay, business owners don't want people to get sick. They don't want their employees to get sick. They don't want their... Uh, uh, customers to get sick, so I th- they're obviously going to take precautions. And yeah. in fact, they'd make it an advertising advantage and show why we're come to us because we're better. We'll keep you safer. That's how they should actually. So, I mean, I think the governor. What job is not essential? Every job's essential. Just ask the person that has it. Well, and I think for restaurants, especially, the argument I was hearing was, we are trained in health and safety. We are inspected yeah. all the time in regards to health and safety. So we, um, if we are not help managing in a healthy way, we go out of business. Yeah. And so, of all the places to shut down, restaurants were the most, uh, were the least likely to shut down, or the least likely places to get sick. And so, the other thing that's good about this order coming at this time is that, unlike, even though you wouldn't know it for the last few days, May is not the rainy season yet. And so hopefully the outdoor seating will be usable for most restaurants. Oh, good point. Because yeah. it hasn't gotten into the rainy season, even though, like I said, we've had incredible rain here in the last couple of days. Yeah. Um, hopefully that will, will be over for a while and people will be able to use their outdoor seating because that's always been for a restaurant without a cover uh, on their outdoor area. It's always been space that they can't even count on that's because good it point. might be rained out i hadn't even thought about that but you make a great point in fact we had the option of outdoor dining that was the first question they asked when we called blue provence to for for a, a reservation we asked for indoor seating i wonder how many people would do the same thing well, and you know, I would really, I certainly hope our city uh, residents come out and start supporting the restaurants on mass and the retail. It's retail is open as well. Mm-hmm. Retail, I can't imagine is going to have any problem with the twenty-five percent rule. There's very rarely that I see a, res- a a store that's full to capacity in this town. Right. So I think the oh, the retail rule for twenty-five percent will be just fine for them. But I certainly hope that all of us go out and start supporting our restaurants and supporting our stores 
and uh, you know make and, and do sit inside and do uh, tip well and because uh, we need them and we appreciate them and boy we sure miss them when they're gone. Absolutely. Well, just a reminder that uh, about fifty percent of our employees in the United States work for small businesses and local businesses, and uh, we need to support them. My biggest fear right now is not the coronavirus, but it is people that could go out of business because they just can't make it, can't sustain it uh, through the shutdown. I, again, I come back to this. I would love to allow the, the uh, marketplace to determine to make these decisions, not uh, officials or elected officials like the governor. I respect him. I am with you. I think his presentation, what he said there, I think he was very well informed. Unfortunately, the facts, he said, we want to make this facts not fear-driven, but most of the facts he was using came from healthcare officials and not from small businesses. Yes, well, that's true, and I'm disappointed that Miami-Dade, Broward, and uh, Palm Beach County were not included in this opening up of the state because they definitely... Uh, need to be included. I thought it was very interesting that he also called out that the Miami-Dade uh, numbers were due to the New Yorkers that had come down and, uh, you know, were sheltering in place in Miami and caught and brought their virus with them. Isn't that interesting? I noted that as well. That was so, you know, I learned a lot in his presentation. I thought the governor did a fantastic job. Again, and I think that's true with President Trump, too. We have these public health officials Getting the ear of these the, these folks, and you know what Fauci, for example, said he said that uh, we're not going to have uh, we should not have uh, professional sports uh, this year at all. Oh. <laughs> you know, it's this. You know, if if we continue to listen to these folks, our country is going to go out of business. We're going to go bankrupt. Well, everything comes with risk. Everything yeah, of we course. do comes with some degree of risk, Absolutely. and I think we have to. Uh, make those assessments for ourselves. Uh, you know, I couldn't agree more. Sharon Kenny, again, the author of Where Should We Eat, always appreciate your very well-informed uh, commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to talk to you, Bob. See Th you out in a restaurant soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Sharon. All right, coming up, change the topic a little bit, going to Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. 
And, of course, the season opens up next year. You could have an opportunity to find out a lot about education. You can visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Dave Bego, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. He's the founder and CEO of Executive Management Services, doing business in over 40 states with over 6,000 employees. Union bosses approached him and said, hey, we want to unionize you and uh, uh, just sign this neutrality agreement. We go sign up your employees, and once we get to 50% plus one, you are unionized. He said, you know what? If you want to unionize my shop, you're going to have to do it through secret ballot. They said, nope, won't do that. So two and a half years of dirty tricks. Uh, you just can't believe what the uh, the leaders of the SEIU did. But Dave prevailed, and uh, he wrote a book about it, The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks uh, for having me on, and uh, we have the devil at our doorstep here in the country right now. Yes, we do. So what's going on with the unions during this uh, pandemic and downturn? Uh, they're they're using this, Bob. It's It's sad. They're using this to go after federal government and state governments and everything to um, provide um, uh, existential pay and, and uh, uh, money um, for, um, you know, union workers and uh, the unions themselves. And uh, it's, uh, and they're, they're just uh, really um, uh, using it to uh, get money for their own pocketbook and instead of, uh, you know, helping people and getting through this thing and uh, make sure people stay safe and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, it's like in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Zoo, you know, that's a place where people go. Uh, the Teamsters filed an unfair labor practice uh, because uh, the, the zoo had to lay off 60 workers because they had, couldn't have them come in there. Yeah. And, you know, they're doing, they're filing charges against businesses and governments about this stuff in a time when the government has shut down the country. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a difficult time as it is already. And, of course, uh, to hear something like that is just so disappointing. Can you imagine? I mean, here, the, I'm sure the zoo, like every other not-for-profit or, or business, is having such financial difficulty right now. And the unions are just coming in to exacerbate the whole situation by filing suits with the National Labor Relations Board and whoever it might be. Yeah, it's it's sad. And, uh, you know, in this article that I read about this, it says, um, in the spirit of never let a crisis go to waste, big labor is taking every advantage it can to turn the pandemic to its own ends. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's what's going on with them. And, and again, Bob, you know, and I've told you this many times, I'm not anti-union. Not all unions are like this, but it's certain big unions are the ones that are causing these problems. And uh, the other problem we're going to have is this, as we start to open up and, and uh, people get back to work, um, they're going to use this uh, in, uh, you know, as they're negotiating um, uh, contracts that are coming up for renewal or in the process of renewal and in uh, force unionizing um, uh, people coming back to work in other companies. Yeah. Um, people see, uh, a lot of people are seeing this as a big time for unions to go out and really go after uh, businesses when they're, you know, fighting all this other stuff and uh, force them to unionize. Well, and, you know, the uh, the Democrat Party is uh, setting the pins for, for all this to happen. And, and how is that? Well, of course, they've got this $600 per week payment to people who are not working, which exceeds their, their work, kind of sets the pins for minimum wage up to $15, doesn't it? Yeah, that's about what they're doing. And, uh, you know, it's it's uh, this is all part of the, uh, the left's, um, you know, agenda to uh, change this country and, and uh, bring down the president and, the, and uh, you know, the Democrats take over the presidency and the Senate and the House and uh, and the unions to uh, control things then because they can control Biden and uh, turn this into a socialist, communistic type of country. I mean, and I just think about Biden and what a poor candidate he is. I mean, he's, uh, he's charming and he's uh, has a lot of positive attributes but uh, quite frankly his aging is his dementia is setting in he can't complete sentences uh, i think he's just in my opinion he's he's just a lapdog for the for the socialists uh he, he'll follow orders and he'll do what he's supposed to do and to, to implement the uh, socialist agenda i think that's pretty much and there you know of course he is he has in the past never expressed the kind of leftist ideals that he's expressing right now he you know the bernie sanders has pulled him to the left but yep. i think you know he basically he's he's because he's losing he's just going to follow orders i'm quite certain oh yeah he he is and uh, he's he's a puppet 
and uh, they're going to control him. And, and uh, the um, Democratic Party, in fact, I, I think they, whoever they get in there as the vice presidential candidate, they're going to have somebody that really uh, runs the government behind the scenes. And Biden is, like I say, he's just going to be a puppet and, uh, that uh, they use to look out at people. Good point, Dave. What, now, what do you think about this Flynn affair and what's happened with the uh, with the uh, the news, explosive news that's come out about? It? And of course, something we suspected all along, but now we have proof positive that the FBI set up Flynn and tried took him down in order to get to Trump and in order to uh, get Flynn out of the government. What? Any thoughts about that? Oh, I'm not surprised. And um, this is this is, uh, ever since Trump has become president. Um, the left and the Democratic Party has gone through so many things, you know, with um, you know the impeachment in Ukraine and the coronavirus and Russia and, and everything. Uh, that, this this whole thing is is to bring him down because they don't like seeing America returning to the uh, free market, uh, strong free market society that our <clears throat> our um, founders wanted us to be. Right. And uh, so they're they're finding they're trying they're going after everything they can and they're infiltrating infiltrating every area they can to pry, try and bring this president down and uh, take over the government. You know, I, I supported the president in the shutdown and stay-at-home orders and all that when, when that initially happened. But as I think about this in retrospect, Dave, I think, uh, the, you know, the government has uh, enumerated powers, and I think that some of those powers, uh, they violated the powers that they're supposed to have, the government I'm talking about. Just allow the free market to make the decisions that need to be made to protect their employees, to protect their customers, and so forth. You certainly, these types of government interventions, uh, you know, you have unintended consequences. And right now, I'm just so concerned about the economy. And if you th- talk about death from coronavirus, you can imagine the despair, the uh, disappointment, the, the uh, depression, all types of things that are going to happen as a result of the economy being shut down. I just hope we can recover. Yeah, I do too, and uh, we need to get it opened up uh, across the country in every state. And uh, you know, I give credit to the Georgia governor because you know he's gone ahead and done it, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they're they're really popping up. And I was talking to a guy down in Atlanta yesterday, and uh, he's got a business down there, and he just uh, he's way, he's all behind the governor. He says, "I'm glad he's opening things up." He says, "You know." We're getting people back out to work, and you know our streets are full again, and everything. He says it's great. Well, you know, we I hope that uh, DeSantis takes a page out of his book. We and we need to get the government get the get the government in its proper role, the enumerated powers that it has, the Tenth Amendment, and so forth, and let people make decisions. You know, you understand your health. I understand my health better than anybody else. I can make decisions for myself. I don't need some government official decide, telling me how I should conduct my life. Well, that's exactly right, and. Uh I mean, you can still do things to kind of protect yourself when you're out in, in masks where there might be infection things. You can wear a mask and stuff like that, yep. or gloves, you know. But uh, people have to be able to make those decisions themselves and move forward. Uh, they just need to be educated on uh, what this disease is and how bad it is and how infectious it is. Dave Beagle, again, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It reads better than a mystery and a a, a novel. I just encourage you to get a copy of it because for two reasons. Number one, it's entertaining, but number two, and even more important, it's informative. And it really exposes what I believe to be the agenda of the left, the tricks that they use. There's such a parallel between what's happening in the Democrat Party and uh, with union bosses. Not all union bosses, as Dave pointed out, but uh, those from the SEIU and other like-minded union bosses. Uh, Dave, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on, and have a great weekend down there. You have a great weekend as well. It's going to be a glorious weekend down here. We had lots of rain in the last couple of days, but looking outdoors right now, it's going to be absolutely fantastic. Hope you join us on Monday. We're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Uh, we're talking about current global events. We'll visit with Larry Reed, the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, as well as Jim McTigg. Jim is a former Barron's Washington bureau chief and wrote two great mystery novels after he retired. The first is Follow the Leader. The second is Shake the Money Tree, both very entertaining and located in the lo- location of Washington, D.C. and uh, Capitol Hill. 
Uh, I hope, by the way, if uh, you have any questions or if you'd like to get the newsletter, if you're not receiving it, you can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.